Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. Park Power has low overhead, which in turn allows them to offer low competitive rates. Reach out for a no obligations comparison by emailing estimates at parkpower.ca. If you do decide to switch, it's easy. It's really just a change of your billing, and you can feel good knowing you're helping give back to your local community. Learn more right now now at parkpower.ca. I know we talk about the weather a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're Canadian. We talk about weather a lot. Yeah, because, I mean, it's been a bit of a weird winter so far. And I mean, I guess that's just going to be the norm from now on. But we've been wildly swinging between warm and cold. And whenever it gets particularly cold, we also get like two feet of snow all at once. <laughs> uh, the morning radio show I listen to on my drive has been describing it as whiplash weather. Kinda, yeah. Because it'll be like unseasonably warm, and like then unse- above zero temperatures, and then this horrible cold snap like a day later. Yeah. Where we drop at, like an easy twenty degrees. Uh, not quite twenty degrees, but well, like we went 10 from degrees. we went from zero degrees what two days ago. Mm-hmm to minus 23 this morning. And the zero degrees is not great either because uh, it brought with it some rain, which immediately turned into a thick sheet of ice over literally everything. Yeah. And then we tried to walk on it and drive on it, and it was all bad. It was real bad. It was real bad. (laughs) Uh, So it's been just a crazy week of weather since last we recorded. Yeah. And yeah, last night it snowed like two feet. Oh, yeah. Like, I waded my way through the powder to get to the garage and then shoveled a path so that our uh, almost two-year-old could make it to the car with me. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like knee-deep snow for her. It was uh, pretty crazy. So, yeah, that's where we're at. Woo! Life in Canada. Fun times. Uh, but, I mean, it is what it is. And uh, we don't tend to get, like, crazy, like, six-feet snowstorms. So, at least we're that. that. That's more of a coastal thing. We don't often get ice mm. storms. No, the Maritimes are yeah. are really bad for ice storms. They get scary ice sometimes. Yeah. But we do tend to get deep cold. And uh, I would not be surprised if at some point this winter we hit like minus 30 Celsius, minus 40 Celsius. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, that usually, usually happens like January, February, and though. We usually like, get late a, winter. a few days of that deep cold. Oh, yeah. Where you just, you don't go outside because it's just too darn mm-hmm. cold. Sometimes it's a whole week and it's terrible. Yeah. Life <laughs> Living in the Canadian prairies. Yep. Woo! Gotta get used to it. Actually, one we of the reasons- We live here on purpose. We do. One of the reasons I don't like the, as you called it, whiplash weather is explicitly because it doesn't give you time to acclimatize. When you have like consistently colder weathers for a longer period, you get used to it. Your body naturally kind of adjusts to being out in the cold like that and you don't notice it as much. And then conversely, like the temperature goes back up a little bit in the spring and it's minus 10 and you're like, oh, this is light coat weather. <laughs> you're like, like, woo, break out the shorts. <laughs> because your your body's acclimatized to that cold. But when it's 
wildly going back and forth between warm and cold, warm and cold, you're, you don't really have the opportunity to, to get used to it. And so you really feel the cold. Yeah. You're just miserable the whole time. Yeah. So kind of, I'd kind of like a prolonged, consistent cold. Like not super cold, like minus 15 to minus 20. Yeah. I'd take that. I can deal with 15. That's not too bad. 20 is mm-hmm. getting a little a little much for me. And anything beyond that is way too cold. Well, that's why I was saying kind of in the range of minus 15 to minus 20. Yeah. If, it, if we could get like a few weeks of sustained cool like that, we'd finally kind of get used to it. Yeah. That's a winter <laughs> I can deal with. Right? You don't die immediately when you go outside. Yeah. It takes a while to develop frostbite instead of instantaneously. Yeah. And uh, the world isn't melting and freezing and melting and freezing over and over again. So, you know, it's drivable. How do we get that? Who do we ask? Uh, we ask our What's... world leaders to go back in time 20 to 30 years. What, what mad science weather do we need to create? We'll talk to local <laughs> weathermen. Uh, Josh Clausen, and get him to turn on his his weather machine. Oh, beautiful! And uh, we'll try to fix the the stuff. I want to say a weather machine was a plot in a James Bond movie once. Oh, almost certainly. Anyway, we're off topic. Yeah, wildly off topic. Wildly off topic. Uh, we're so good at that. It is winter here, but it is also winter in our novel, uh, where just last chapter Jebby came back from a duel out in the snow. Out in the fresh snow. A duel out in the snow. Uh, deeply concerned because they had learned something about the woman that they're getting interested in that was not great. <laughs> not uh, so not they, spectacular. So they decided to throw themselves into their work and began formulating a plan that might just let them talk to a dragon. And that leads us into chapter eight of Phoenix Extravagant by Yoon Ha Lee. So Jebby's plans to interrogate Arazi are immediately curtailed when they promptly <laughs> fall ill. I'd, I'd say thwarted, but they weren't quite. Yeah. Presumably because they had gone out ill-dressed to witness a into, duel yeah, in the cold. Yeah, into the snow and cold Yeah, <laughs> to watch a duel. Just That was my thought, too. As soon as it happened, I was like, oh, they got sick because they went outside when they were cold. Probably not the best idea that they've that they've had. But they decide to try to press on continuing to work and get kind of shut down when Vey shows up and is like, no, you sick. You stay in bed. <laughs> Which, okay, Vey does something very kind, very caring, very sweet right here. Vey brings Jebby a tray of food and tea and orders them back to bed. Yeah. Because, you know, Jebby is super duper sick and we just gloss over that entirely. This very kind gesture, this very caring gesture is mentioned because it happens, and then we never discuss it at all. There's a reason for that. The book is from Jebby's perspective. And and no, Jebby doesn't care. It's not that Jebby doesn't care. It's that Jebby is not focused on this at the moment. Jebby acknowledges that this is a touching gesture, but it's tempered by the fact that they likely killed their sister-in-law. Yeah. And it's also thrown off by the fact that Jebby is laser focused on trying to get this scheme out of the way. Yeah. And so all other considerations are just kind of, and this is, this is an example of Jebby's focus from earlier in the book again, right? Mm -hmm. Jebby's so focused on one thing that everything else kind of falls into the background and it's only later when they're like, oh, maybe that was important and I should have been paying attention. This is potentially just another example of that. Quite possibly. Yes. Jebby has a problem. (laughs) 
Jebby eats a little bit of the food that Vey brings to them, and that is such an exhausting prospect because they're so sick that it knocks them right out. Yeah. And then they sleep for a Hours. while. Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea what time it is. Neither does Jebby because, of course, there is no natural light in the secret lair. Yeah. And apparently no clocks because Jebby has no idea what time it is and doesn't bother to look. But probably They're no clocks then. Guessing based on the sounds in the hallway. They might not have a clock in their room. They do, as you say, however, awaken and are upset that they've wasted a bunch of time resting to get over their illness and yes. not working on their plan. How how dare a person with a horrible fever yeah. stay in bed? So they decide to try to keep themselves awake for the next little while by reading the most boring book in the room. This is a bad plan. Yeah, it promptly starts to fail, so they attempt to focus up by doodling in the margins for a while. And then eventually just, like, hyper-focus on doodling. Yeah, so much so that they lose more time. Jimmy, you're sick. Go back to bed. But when they, they check up once again on the sounds in the hall, it sounds like work is done for the day. And so they figure now might be a good time to sneak off to the workshop to put their plan into motion. Despite the fact that they're arguably even sicker than before and probably not fully rational at this moment. I genuinely wonder if parts of this chapter aren't a fever dream. Uh, Jebby sneaks, and I have this in quotes, out of their room. Sneaks, yeah. Makes a note they'll only arouse suspicion if they act suspiciously and proceed to act very suspiciously indeed. <laughs> but this, this is where having a fever is beneficial. They can pass it off as they're sick. Yeah. Like, she it's it's entirely possible that they are, in fact, wandering around in some weird fever dream. Yeah. Right? So uh, they, they might get a pass on this. They do get into the workroom and find to their dismay that Sean is working late, which shouldn't be a terrible surprise. Apparently that's a thing he does. Mm. They proceed to alert him by kicking a carelessly discarded brush. Yep. Like clattering around. Yeah. Um, Sean is like, oh, you sick. You should go back to bed. And... Jebby rudely suggests that he's trying to get them in the sack and... Uh, and hurts his feelings. And really hurts his feelings. And he's like, oh, well, fine then. And like storms off to go and be angry about it. And Jebby actually feels a little bad about that, but is like, well, at least I got him out of the room <sighs> so I can do my work in secret. Jebby, why are you so bad at this? So Jebby sits to work making pigment for the mask they intend to fit Arazi with, using pages from the book that they were doodling in. Yes. Because the book is a work of art by someone who is dead. So, functional. T technically, that counts. And, I mean, theoretically, the book is probably a good source for pigment to make glyphs about communication. That makes sense. That tracks book. to me, yeah. They then make a rough sketch of what they're planning to put on the mask, and then kind of get to work with painting. And an interesting thing to me is that Jebby actually talks about how for the first time kind of in their whole career as an artist, the importance of the ritual of the art, like the preparation that yes. goes into making art, really impresses on them much more than the actual art of creation itself. Yeah. Usually for Jebby, that's just the stuff you rush to get out of the way so that you can make an art. Yeah, for the first time, this isn't a tedious chore that they have to do to yeah. get to the good part, which is, you know, the painting. Yeah. But yeah, this this is so important to them that they take their time, mm -hmm. make sure they do it properly, and, and really get invested in it. So when Jebby's done, they sit back 
taken the mask they've painted, and it suddenly strikes them that some of the glyphs do resemble moon phases, which reminds them of the gossip they heard back at, at Hack's party. Ooh, about colonizing the moon. Yeah, about the Razani interest in the moon. And the idea of Arazi being a flying engine of destruction kind of comes to mind, and it is a very terrifying prospect to them in that moment. Maybe so. Yeah, they're like, well, it doesn't have wings, but I suppose in the legends, dragons don't have wings, and it doesn't really stop them from flying, so. That's true. Not all flying dragons have wings. They magic. Yeah, Actually, they magic. I could be mistaken on this, but I'm under the impression that uh, kind of within more... Asian dragon conceptions, they dance on clouds. Like, they can walk on the clouds, and that's how they fly, quote-unquote. Oh! I could be mistaken on that, but I remember reading that or hearing that somewhere. That makes sense. So, yeah. That's why they don't need wings, because they can just they just dance on the clouds. Yeah. I don't know why I thought of this, uh, but in The Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, there are g- massive dragons. Mm-hmm. And they sort of weave up and down through the air, sort of like... Uh, sort of like how an eel swims through water. So I'm kind of under the impression that that a dragon might also swim through the air in the same way that another creature would swim through the water. Air like water. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Jebby sits down and waits for the paint to dry, and their coworker Tia walks in. This is alarming for Jebby because they don't want Tia to snitch on them. But Tia's like, oh, working on a personal project, eh? I happen to also be working on a personal project. So if you keep it secret, I'll keep it secret. Yeah, right? Like, no snitches. Uh, Snitches get stitches. (laughs) Tia does seem friendly enough, and pulls out a splotchy abstract painting that Jebby does not understand, and is like, oh, I wish I had the time to ask about that, because it seems very interesting. I kind of wonder if Jebby doesn't really grasp the concept of abstract art. Well, Jebby's from a very traditional, uh, art style Mm -hmm. very realistic they they learned not even realism because realism is uh something they find a little vulgar but that's true um but it's a very like traditional more symbolic style of art Mm -hmm. where you're trying to capture the essence of the thing not necessarily the realism of the thing so one step beyond that is getting into like really abstract stuff and i can see why jebby would be like i don't understand that i don't why are you just why are you jackson pollocking yeah, yeah why understand. is there just paint and that appears to be what tia is doing is jackson pollocking so <laughs> the verb jackson pollocking to jackson pollock yeah he pollocks she pollocks they pollock jebby decides that the paint on the mask is dry enough and gathers up their things and rushes off to go and visit arazi the guards are kind of surprised to see a sick Jebby arrive at an odd hour, but they're also kind of used to artists being weird. Yeah. I imagine it's like seven, eight o'clock at night, right? And so everyone should be done for the day. And Jebby has been out sick. And suddenly they come like barreling down this hallway. Like ashen and sweaty. Yeah. And like, like, like with inspiration a bunch of stuff. has struck me. I need to see the dragon immediately. Yeah, and the guards are like, Man, yeah, okay, that tracks. Okay. <laughs> like... They even allow Jebby's request that the guards inside should wait outside. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I can I can practically hear the eye rolls yep. from the guards. They're like, ugh, artists. So after everybody clears out of Arazi's hangar, Jebby heads in and gets Arazi to halt its pacing and submit to having its mask replaced. And then after they've affixed the new mask, they ask, can you hear me, basically? And the dragon replies, speaking in Jebby's mind. Which is... Bonkers! I mean, it, it's elating to Jebby because it means that the runes that they put on the mask work exactly as intended. Yes. Or appear to work exactly as intended. Yes. Basically, Jebby took a huge gamble 
and it paid off. It, it appears to have paid off. So far. It appears to have paid off. So far, yeah. Arazi can speak in, in a fashion. Can speak and can speak secretly in their mind. Yes. Yes. And by the end of the conversation is on, I think, the same side seems, as Jebby. Certainly seems to be on the same page, yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So the conversation kind of breaks down like this. First off, Arazi is curious, hey... Why did you give me the power to speak? What's up with that? Obviously. You want to talk to me. You want to talk to me. So let's chat. And Jebby's like, okay, well, here's the deal. I want to know what happened at the massacre because you're the only other survivor and no one seems to be giving me the straight story. So what's up? And Razi's like, oh, well, I didn't kill anybody. I don't like killing people. That was totally Hefandon who did that. And Jebby's like, excuse me, what now? <laughs> More or less. So Arazi explains basically why Hafandon wasn't surprised to learn about the sabotage and why there has seemingly been no investigation into it, because he already knew about it. Because he was at the test. Yes. When the dragon was turned on and didn't do anything, because it was a pacifist, yep. Hafandon was like, oh, a semi, so you sabotaged my dragon, and for that, you're going to die. Yep. And executed a semi. Then, because he didn't want other people in the ministry to learn that the test had failed and that the sabotage had happened in order to save face, he had all of the witnesses executed too. Yep. So the automata killed everybody. Yep. Obviously, except for him. Which is pretty horrible. Yeah. Yeah. But he couldn't let word reach the rest of the ministry that he had failed spectacularly because it would have looked bad for him. And it would have looked bad for the ministry. Yes. So again... The ministry has a person on staff to protect its honor. Yes. <laughs> like, this is a big deal. So, yes, it tracks that Hefandon would be like, kill everybody. No one can know what happened. His plan was then to use Asemi's art to make the next batch of Phoenix extravagant, which is just an ironic posthumous punishment for Asemi. That is right? That is Hefandon kicking Asemi while she's down. Because you turned my dragon into a pacifist, so I'm going to use your art to turn it back into a weapon of mass destruction. Which explains, if if you're right, that explains why... Mirhai took off with yes, the art. Yes, grabbed yeah. it and ran. Jebby is aghast and decides in this moment, like, I can't allow this to happen again. Like, this yeah. is this is bad no, news. There are a lot of dead people, and that's not okay. And we can't, we can't do this again. We so, don't want any more dead people. Yeah, so Arazi, presumably, you're still a pacifist, because I didn't change that part of the grammar. I presume you don't want to kill any other people, so here's the deal. If I could get you out of here, would you take me with you? And Arazi's like, where would we go exactly? And Jebby's like, the moon! Ah... <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> And because then things take a turn. Because they're feverish, and it's the first thing that pops to mind. But yep. to be fair, I mean, who's going to look for them on the moon? <laughs> Who can look for them on the moon? All they need is time to figure out an escape plan. And the question is, will they have that time? Because they actually make a very important decision at the end of this chapter, yes. which I think might be important. And that decision is they don't switch out the masks on their way out. And I don't know if that was a decision or a mistake? Um, well, no, because Jebby thinks about, oh, I should maybe go back and switch the mask. But then they're like, no, you know what? Nobody noticed that a semi-sabotaged mask had been left on it. So presumably no one will notice that my sabotaged mask will be left on it. But here's the flaw in that thought. Huh. They have since spoken to Vey about the sabotaged mask. Right. 
which means that they potentially might know what to look for now. Well, I have a question. Yes. Are the glyphs on the inside or outside of the mask? Because if they were on the inside, it would be awfully easy to sabotage something because no one else could see it. Yeah. If it were on the outside, you're counting on other people not being able to recognize or understand the glyphs that you've put on it. Jebby previously, uh, when they first started with the ministry, saw some automata who had unusual pigments painted onto their masks. So, oh, that, so that was on the outside. That would imply to me on the outside. Okay. That would imply to me that the glyphs are on the outside. Okay. So basically, they are, whoever handles a mask for any automata is sort of trusting that other people can't read it and won't understand it. I mean, there's a certain level of mastery that goes into it. And yes, my assumption is that the layperson wouldn't necessarily know what the glyphs mean. Yeah. But if they was told, hey, this mask, look at the glyphs on this mask, this turned the dragon into a pacifist, this would also give Vey a clue to look maybe a little more closely. And even if she doesn't understand what the glyphs are, she might know to look and see, oh, the glyphs on the dragon have changed. Jebby has done something to the dragon, and I don't know what. I'm going to ask about that. Maybe. And that could put Jebby on the spot, because Jebby is not a good liar. Maybe. Jebby is also supposed to change the glyphs on the dragon. Yeah. So, assuming Jebby could come up with a decent lie and be okay at it, like I'm they might it, get away I'm, with it. I'm iterating changes. We're testing stuff out. That tracks, but again, the problem is Jebby is not a good liar. That's true. N- definitely not going to be a good liar to Vey, a no. person that they're attracted to. And Vey might be suspicious because of what happened with Asemi, someone else that Vey was close with who also betrayed Vey. Maybe. So it might it might arouse Vey's suspicion. All I'm saying is that this to me seems like a bad decision by Jebby in this moment because they are counting on people not noticing, but they have also tipped off at least one important person to keep an eye out. That's also true. So that's why it feels like a mistake to me. But that is the end of the chapter. That's chapter eight. And uh, yeah. I have two more questions. Okay, so we know that Asemi is dead. Yeah, that this pretty much confirms yes. Debbie's dead. And we know that Hafenden was intending to take the triptych to turn it into more pigment. Yes, right? specifically Phoenix Extravagant. Why steal it instead of destroying it? Destroying it might have left pieces that could have been used. Stealing it takes it completely out of the ministry. I suppose. And I mean, Mirheim might have destroyed it elsewhere so that it couldn't be. Oh, that's true. We don't know that. Uh, Just in my mind, the fact that it still exists somewhere always leaves that potential for it to be used. Plus, I mean, it was described as kind of a masterpiece by Asemi. So it's possible Mirhai also just wants to preserve it. That's also true. It's hard to see art destroyed, especially when it is fantastic. And when it is like a great work of art by, by your now dead master. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I could see why Mirhai might try to preserve it. But the other question then is, does Hafandon have a, a lead on where Mirhai might be? Because he cryptically mentioned last chapter, oh, I'm going to get right? you some Phoenix Extravagant, don't you Phoenix. worry. We we got some coming. Yeah, that's really vague though. I don't know exactly what that means. Yeah, I mean, he might have found another source, but it's it certainly now reads to me that maybe Mirhai is in imminent danger and that Hafandon has a lead on where to get that triptych. Mm-hmm. So Maybe. Second question. Yes. Is Arazi an actual artificial intelligence that is simply under strict controls or or not? Like if you take the mask off, does it just shut down? 
Uh, I'm under the impression that, yes, the mask gives it the ability to do stuff. Jebby explicitly gave it a glyph that gave it human-like intelligence. So it can it can reason. It is definitely under strict control, and it is definitely subject to its programming. But it would seem, for all intents and purposes, yes, Arazi is a thinking creature. Hmm. Because it has made the choice to be a, a pacifist. Yes. And it has chosen to discuss what happened with Jebby. And it would like to not be turned into a weapon of war and escape. Yeah. And that... I'm just really curious, like, what would happen if you gave it a blank mask? Presumably. Or took the mask off entirely? Well, presumably it might not be able to do anything, because the mask actually helps uh, give it locomotion and stuff. Oh, okay, fair enough. Like, it, it automates it. It's part of the programming that gives it life, essentially. So, without that, it would be an inert chunk of metal. I mean, they did take off the mask, disassemble it, and move it back to the... Oh, yeah. To the base. So presumably, yes, it becomes inert. It has no life okay. when the mask is taken off. But it clearly has memory. And that's something to uh, to take into consideration because it was rendered inert, dismantled, and moved back to its hangar bay. Mm-hmm. And it remembers. But what it happened. still remembers what happened. Yeah, yeah. So that that is something to keep in mind and is interesting. So maybe it does have some manner of spirit beyond simply it being yeah. automated. Maybe. I think I'm just really curious how the automata work in this world. I'm going to... Because magic. I'm going to underscore that with a wizard did it. <laughs> well, because a wizard did do it. Because a magic. wizard did do it, yes. So it is It is magic. I just, I think it's fascinating and cool. That's all. Well, and we might learn a little bit more about the inner workings, especially... Oh, I hope so. Because Jebby's probably going to be interested in the philosophical ramifications of it being a, a, a seemingly living thinking creature mm-hmm. as we move further into the story. So, Yeah. And we are a not living, quite halfway. A living thinking creature that could potentially have its free will stripped away from it and just be turned into a weapon of mass destruction. That's true. Which is horrifying. Yeah. But, yeah. I'd say what we're, we're at almost the halfway mark, I'd say. We're getting there. Physically, through the book. We're, I'd, I'd say we're definitely at the point where we're leaving Act 1. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Or Act 2 if we're in a five-act structure, which I think we're more likely in. Act 1 would be Jebby getting the job. Act 2 is coming to an end now with Jebby learning about the job and what goes into it. And planning on releasing the dragon. Planning to release the dragon, yeah. So. Yeah. But that's as far as we know, based on the blurb on the back, is that they must try and get the dragon and escape. Presumably they're going to succeed. Yes. Very curious about (laughs) what they're going to do with an escaped dragon. Or the rest of the story will will come to an end very quickly (laughs) if they fail to escape. The whole rest of the book is just trying to escape with this dragon. But uh, yeah, maybe we'll find out how that escape takes place as we move into chapter nine of our novel, which you'll want to read in time for next week. That episode will be out on Christmas Eve. Woo! Yeah, so maybe it'll be a, a whole Christmas miracle. So when you're when you're full of Christmas dinner and you're tired of your family and you just want to relax, put up your feet, grab your book, put in your earbuds, let us send you off to a lovely Christmas relaxing slumber. No, don't fall asleep listening to us. No, listen to us, then fall asleep. There you go. That's that's more like it. Yeah, you wanna you wanna hear the whole thing. If you fall asleep halfway through the story, you don't know how it ends. Well, while you're listening to our podcast, uh, there are probably some other podcasts that are worth your time. And um, some of them are 
not members of the Alberta Podcast Network, but are still uh, great local podcasts that uh, deserve a little shout out. And the Edmonton Community Foundation helps us give shout outs to them. And Anita is going to tell you a little bit more about one of them right now. Yeah, but read a thing. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. In this episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to Your Forest. Your Forest is a podcast about the natural world. Hear stories about the environment, renewable resources, conservation, forestry, hunting, fishing, and more. This is a podcast for those who cannot live without the joys and wonders of all wild things. Find Your Forest wherever you get your podcasts or at yourforestpodcast.com. That's yourforestpodcast.com. And Your Forest is all one word. Yeah. Yeah, worthy podcast, uh, worth a shout out. Talking about an important subject right now, the environment. Yeah. Yeah. Boosted by uh, the Edmonton Community Foundation. You can find links to them at the website albertapodcastnetwork.com, where you can also find all of the other member podcasts of the network. Going to be something there worth checking out. Absolutely. You can download those podcasts probably on the podcatcher that you use regularly, which is probably also where you're catching our pod. Probably. Give us a little rating and a review. We'd appreciate that. We really would. Yeah. Be a nice Christmas present. Helps us out. It does. Yeah. Uh, you can also reach out to us via social media. Absolutely. Here's the list. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. You can also reach us via email. Yes. We are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much. And we'll see you next time. Maybe we'll take off with a dragon. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.